This is a mental health podcast, so difficult topics may arise. Please proceed with caution. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Getting Better, Stories of Mental Health. I'm Micheline Malouf. And I'm Nadia Desi, and we're your hosts and licensed therapists here to destigmatize mental health one episode at a time. In each episode, we dive into our guests' special experiences with mental health, coping mechanisms, and how they have embraced their own mental health journey. Today on the podcast, we have Chris Bosch. Chris is an NBA Hall of Famer, 11-time All-Star, two-time NBA champion, Olympic gold medalist, and the author of the book, Letters to a Young Athlete. Today, we speak to Chris about mental health struggles in athletes, his personal health struggle, which led to a major shift in his identity and what keeps him going. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for joining us. It's, uh, it's good to meet you. You too. We're really excited to jump into this conversation and talk about mental health. We'll just get started with how are you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Everything is good. I feel good. You know, every day I'm waking up motivated, trying to build a better future and being a father and a husband and all that stuff. And always getting used to the day, right? Getting, seeing where I want to do my most, trying to be present. And after that, you know, making my goals and and making sure we're working toward them step by step. So uh, with that said, no complaints. Everyone is happy and healthy. I love that because healthy these days is really important. So I'm glad to hear that everyone in your family is healthy. I'm going to dig into the the past right now. So (laughs) I'm not going to cut you any (laughs) slack. We're going to jump right into how was your experience about mental health growing up? Um, You know, non-existent. In um, the sense of we didn't have certain things that we could do that I found that really helped me. It was just it it was more something that wasn't discussed anywhere. Um, And, you know, whether that that's in the family or um, at school or me participating in sports in sports, you know, it um, wasn't as prevalent as, as it is now. And the part I love about now is just starting the conversation Um, so many times. Back then, it's crazy getting a little older and you got to say back then now. But one of the things that I found that really helped me out was that we lived uh, in in kind of an outside area just outside of Dallas. So it was more woods, more undeveloped raw land and walking through the woods, playing with my friends, playing the game of basketball. uh, Those were the things that really helped me, I found. And I, I like to draw and stuff like that and watch TV. You know, we always have to find our own way. Right. And kind of looking back on it, that's what it was for me. Um, And I'm sure that answer would be a little different if I didn't have the game of basketball. At the end of the day, that's where if I was frustrated, if I was happy, if I was sad, I could go get those things out and exercise and (laughs) just beat the crap out of my friends or somebody else and just you know, be in that moment of getting better and, and, and having that goal to work for. Uh, but yeah, yeah, not so much as as uh, a tool or even a subject. If something was wrong, you had to tough it out. And, you know, I think we're just now getting to a point to where it's like a new word, right? It's like a new buzzword, like mental health. Like, oh, wow. This, what is that? <laughs> but um, definitely looking back on it, I, I had I had my outlets. I had those things that I could do um, to help me just be myself, um, get a release out of something and and just be proud of the work that I'm putting in. 
I love that. That's so important. Even growing up, we don't necessarily understand what mental health is, but we do have those outlets that we know that make us feel better, like basketball or drawing. But when did mental health become part of your life or how did it become part of your life? Well, um, as I started growing older, having to deal with the demands of being a professional basketball player, being the uh, all of a sudden the breadwinner uh, for the family, I'm 19 years old. Now you're kind of put in this pseudo leader position because everybody's asking you for things and the media demands their attention. Um, you know, trying to be the best player I could be in Toronto. That was um, that was important to me. And so performing in front of people that those things started to take its toll. And then the first time uh, we made the playoffs, I just started getting anxious all of a sudden, just always getting anxious. I even consulted uh, with someone, which unfortunately didn't work too much for me. <laughs> but that was kind of my first thing. It was like just this weird feeling of like, yo, why do I feel like this? And it's kind of coming out of nowhere. And all of a sudden I wasn't confident and I'm thinking too much about things I never thought about leading up into the point um, of this game. It was the first time we had made the playoffs since Vince Carter, you know, so I'm trying to be that next guy. And I started experiencing uh, these weird uh, bodily sensations. But after a while, um, you know, I always tell this joke. The funny thing with me was I was feeling this way and we still lost the first game and I played like crap. So I said, well, let me get back to being myself. <laughs> Is I snapped back out of, you know, that, that whole dream state right away once you know, we kind of got punched in the mouth a little bit, but that that was the first time I was aware of anything or, or trying to seek uh, someone to talk to or someone to help me process these feelings or these emotions that I was going through at the time. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, Houston, this is the first time in your life you're doing something to that magnitude, I imagine. So you mentioned physical sensations. Can you Tell us a little bit about what that, because anxiety is different for everybody and physical sensations are very common with anxiety and for our listeners to hear. What kinds of uh, sensations did you experience before games? It, it wasn't necessarily before uh, games all the time because usually I was pretty relaxed and, you know, sometimes you get the butterflies. But this one in particular was kind of like a prolonged butterfly feeling. Um and as opposed to maybe concentrating on my breath, bringing myself back in my body, I just kept kept wrapping my body around that feeling and, you know, tensing up. And and that did not help me at all. <laughs> I had a terrible game. I played terribly. We lost. And right away, that was kind of like my medicine I was mentioning before. But that for me, that's why basketball was so important for me. That feeling of losing was worse than the feeling of the sensation that I was feeling. So I said, okay, let me put that to the side <laughs> because obviously this is not helping me. So I had that thing to kind of snap me back into reality, to ground me, uh, to bring me back to that place of saying, okay, look, I'm still in my skin. Everything's okay. Let's go out. How about next time we just play basketball? How about next time? Let's just be who we are. I'm going to be myself because I know that that's good enough. And that that really helped me. But yeah, that was the kind of the physical sensation, like you're just always nervous or falling off a building or something like that. 
And I tell you, after we lost that game, I didn't have that feeling ever again. And, and you know, it comes right before a big game or if you're a singer, a big concert. I'm not trying to avoid that feeling and act like it does not exist. It's there and it's real. But, you know, eventually you have to come to a place where you have to perform. That was my profession. This is what I do. Um, you know, I always found that if I worked properly, if I worked hard, that was where my confidence came from. It would be another thing if I was unprepared. That That's when I'd really start feeling it. <laughs> but anytime I felt those sensations, I would prepare more. I would get into my studies more. I would watch more film. I would, you know, whatever your thing is coming up. If you've got a test, well, if you're feeling nervous, study, study a little more. Make sure, make sure you're brushing up on that topic, on that health topic that you need to get to, to ace it. Or if you're taking the <laughs> the bar exam, make sure we're running through scenarios. That Those were the things that always gave me comfort. And eventually doing it over and over and over, I was able to find those tools that helped me. Um, everybody's different, right? I love that you said kind of the self-talk was something that helped after reflecting of, I feel this way, but I know who I am. I know I'm good at this. I know I'm a basketball player. And I think that's really important for our listeners too, of just grounding yourself back to who you truly are and why you're in the thing you're in and how you're good at it. And that'll help with the anxiety. Absolutely. Um, another layer on top of that would be to love yourself. That's one of the things I think we're kind of getting away from, or maybe we never really had a good grasp on it. But uh, one of the main mental things, uh, things for mental health is to love yourself. <laughs> let's let's start there. You know, I laugh at my own jokes. Nobody else has to laugh. I will laugh like somebody else told it to me. And just having that confidence in myself and, you know, just, just being able to appreciate those qualities um, that I bring as opposed to kind of harping on things that may be perceived as negative. You know, we uh, we all are who we are. We're a package. You know, if I don't think I'm a good player, if I don't love myself, then who else will? Having that confidence, putting in the time, but most importantly, yeah, having that conversation with yourself. A lot of, a lot of the times um, people kind of run from that. Or if they have a negative thought, it's like, oh, where did that come from? It's just a thought. You know, we still have to hopefully go to work tomorrow. Um, the day hopefully is still going to come. We're going to receive our challenges. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're not right up here, you were saying it earlier. If you're not right up here, my grandpa, my, you know, rest his soul, he had a saying, you know, you have to use those things in between your ears because if you don't, nobody else will. <laughs> right. And this is a part of that. But having that dialogue with yourself and and knowing where you are. Um, I think that's very vital and important. That is really important. I love a few things that you said. You have to love yourself. And that's difficult for a lot of people. I think that's a big challenge for a lot. And also recognizing that, you know, you have an anxious thought and it's a thought. It's not going to change anything about your life or, or who you are, right? How did you learn that? Is it something that you learned slowly over time or did you just always know this? It's very slowly over time. You know, I think the biggest challenge for me was in my adolescent age, um, in the teenage years. You know, those are, I was the awkward teenager. I had acne. Um, every time somebody sees me for the first time in about a month, I've grown. <laughs> None of my clothes fit. My parents, God bless them, you know, as hard as they worked, we didn't, I didn't have the clothes that I needed, right? <laughs> For the social survival at school, which I, I still got by. 
going through those tough times and, and I empathize for those who don't have that thing because basketball was kind of that source of uh, confidence for me. You could, I could wear some short shorts or some pants that don't fit, but if we get on this court, we, we have to play the game, you, you know, and, and that made me empathize for especially kids that don't have that thing, who don't have those resources to pour themselves into or don't have the attention. But, you know, living in the inf- internet age and in the information age, um, you know, I want to put more onus on the individual to go and seek those things and go and find those things, ask themselves those questions, find out what they're good at, find that thing that you can pour your, yourself into because I'm one of those people that believe we're all talented at something. We just have to find those things. And it's a process. Just it was always a continuous effort. Um, even if I wake up in the morning and there's another pimple on my face and I'm like, oh, you know, I got to go to school. Everybody sees it. And then we have a game that night. Oh, my goodness. That can it can be devastating. <laughs> it's a devastating feeling. But at the same time, you still go. And sometimes nobody even said a word. It was all things that I had made up. So just being open, of, of course, as well to to the challenges and the, and the good things that come throughout the day and just experiencing it. But, you know, for me, yeah, it took a long time. Um, it took a long time to grow into my skin, uh, to mature, um, you know, and, and it's a daily process. But, you know, I, I think when we're younger, we're trying to prove to other people who we are as opposed to kind of turning it inward and being confident in who we are. And, and you know, and that's fine. That That's a it's a whole journey we, we have to go through. And, and luckily for me, I was able to kind of take those lessons and, you know, really recognize what helped me and what didn't. And, you know, with that said, that's not to say the challenges didn't come. They came in droves. But every time I just kept, you know, the, kept that glasses half full mentality and just waited on that better day or worked toward that better day to, you know, uh, turn things around. I think a really big takeaway with what you said there for our listeners is we're so worried about what other people think about us, but instead we just have to turn it inward and find out who we are and what we like and find something we're passionate about that we can use as an outlet. And like you've been saying, start slow, but that's such a great tool for our mental health of start looking within yourself of who you think you are, what your values are and what you want to do with your life or even as a hobby and you'll start to see how your mental health or your anxiety will improve over time. Switching over to the sports community, do you think there's stigma surrounding mental health in sports or male-oriented fields? Of course. (laughs) Of course, right? Just put some dirt on and get back in the game, man. Come on. You can't be talking about it now. You know, the thing that's challenging about the mental is that it's it's transcended the the physical, right? It's not anything we can see, touch, or feel. Um, and a, a lot of the time, it's been stigmatized to be like, ah, you, come on, you're being soft, or you're afraid, or it wasn't manly, um, you know, to even talk about these things or even mention it. So you better bury it deep, you know? And I think that was more so of um, just, yeah, just the old school way of how things were done. And, and you may have at one point in time, you probably had to be like that. Yeah, you probably did have to bury it. That doesn't necessarily make it healthy, but that's just how times were. And now, you know, for instance, an athlete saying, hey, I'm a human, too. That's that's a new thing. It's never been a topic of conversation surrounding an, an athlete. And, and I mean, it's still don't get me wrong now. It's still a very small percentage. 
But um, that was a concept that was tough for people to grasp. You know, like, hey, I'm having a bad day today, just period. And you know, someone will come up and not care and want, still want your picture or make it worse by taking it anyway after you ask them not to. You know, it's just getting used to those ancillary things that come, you know, start coming your way if you're successful. It is a new topic, and I'm glad that it's being discussed. And one of the things I want to make sure that athletes and other people that are especially listening to this is that you definitely want to have the tools, learn the tools to prepare yourself, whatever helps you mentally. But the challenges are going to be there. With that said, you want to just be equipped with the tools to help you when those challenges come your way, because they are coming. You know, just because we talk about mental health, just because we uh, discuss it does not mean that tough times will not come. They're coming. You will experience them. But arm yourself, have the tools, be even talking about it, like I said before, is a is a good thing because, you know, you can have that internal dialogue just to see where you're at, see how you're feeling. And, you know, if if some people are not healthy enough to play, they're not healthy enough to get into work, they don't feel they're in their right mind, that's a separate issue. But definitely, definitely go um, through those things, use those tools that we gather and learn those tools, you know, um, you can go and find anything just like you guys. I know that you guys have your presence on social media and stuff like that. That didn't exist before. So just by doing what you're doing, you're helping people you haven't even met or probably don't even know. And it could be something as simple as saying, hey, you're OK, you're all right, you can do it. And, you know, give them that digital pat on the back. But definitely using the tools, using our information uh, you know, we have access to info 24 seven. Let's start. Let's start filling our cup with good stuff. I'm, I'm way more cognizant of that now of just, you know, just saying, man, what am I putting into my brain? We talk about mental health and it's OK if we, I can use it as a thing. But what am I doing to put what am I putting up here? If I'm watching scary movies just at night and going to sleep, that's probably not the best thing for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or from watching social media, wishing I was something else. You know, it's probably not good for me, you know, so I've definitely, um, you know, especially having kids now, I'm, I'm very aware or trying to be more aware of, uh, of what I'm putting into my mind on the daily. That's really good because we often hear people talking about setting boundaries with people in our lives. And what you're saying is setting boundaries with yourself. So getting to know yourself, getting to know your um, your, your fears, what makes you anxious, what makes you sad, what doesn't help your self-esteem. And setting boundaries for yourself, unfollowing people that don't make you feel good, for instance, or setting maybe watching scary movies with loved ones in the afternoon rather than at nighttime. <laughs> you can figure um, it out, you know? You know, yeah, you can figure it out. But definitely, I think we often miss that boundary setting with our own selves. And I think it's just as important as the boundaries we set with others. So how does being a professional athlete impact mental health? You are who you are. For me, I um, I was drafted early. So imagine everybody, if you're listening, just imagine your 19-year-old self or, or a younger version. If you're 16, your 15-year-old self, just some... A version of yourself back in the day. Okay. Between, let's say, your 19th birthday and then your 20th birthday, people treat you different. Like strangers are coming up to you talking. Um, You know, they want you to sign things. They want to take pictures of you. People are demanding. They want things. It's it's, it's just the narrative changes. 
Um, and that's very, very tough to deal with. And every athlete pretty much deals with that. Um, and, you know, every person of success as well, if you're doing well, everybody wants a piece of that, right? They want to talk to you. They want your time. They want something from you. But yeah, I mean, you know, for me, the challenges were I, I felt I was myself. I just wanted to play basketball. That never changed. Now I was 19 years old when I got drafted. I just want to play some video games. And then outside of that, hang out with my friends. Outside of that, that's really it. But when I go outside, it's this other, you can feel the eye or eyes or the public. And, you know, this is a great thing in Toronto. Toronto loves basketball. And that was something I had to get used to. I can't go the places I used to go. For me, I was in a whole other country. So the places I usually go, maybe not be there. You know, they may or may not have a McDonald's by me or, you know, what is what is Tim Hortons? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm outside of my comfort zone. It's snowing. I don't my friends aren't here. You know, it's just a change in dynamic that is shocking, you know, to say the least. And it's just for me in my specific situation, I just had to get used to that. Um, get used to how this new lifestyle that is even perceived. I haven't even people were like, oh, man, you know, people came in. What car are you going to buy? I said, I don't know. I just want to play basketball, man. People start putting stuff on your plate. Well, you got to think about this and you got to do this and you don't have a car. You got to get a car. Like, ah, I like riding the bus. You know, who who knows? But mm -hmm. those things that that person who you were, you still feel that way. You're still in your body, but your perception is different. And that can be very, very tough to deal with, you know, or if you say something and make a mistake, and especially now in the in the media or, or, or on social media, people drag you in the mud. And, um, you know, it's just things that you have to have tools for uh, to be prepared and, you know. And you have to be able to handle it when and if it comes your way. Yeah, it sounds like it's an identity shift, like you had who you thought you were. And you were that person your whole life. And yeah. all of a sudden it shifted. And now there's this other person plus the person that you want to be and still play basketball. But it, you have to change because you have a lot of other demands and responsibilities. And I think that's not often talked about enough with, you know, just uh, celebrities in general, people that are public figures and, you know, out in public athletes, which you mentioned earlier. Now they're speaking out about it because athletes, you know you become an athlete, a professional athlete at a pretty young age, most of the time. And so you're not prepped for all that. I mean, you're still a teenager. You're still trying to figure yourself out. And now and the then world all of a sudden is, you're supposed to be a money expert. Like how did that person go broke? Like I got drafted at 19. Who knew? Nobody ever made over a hundred thousand dollars in my family. What do you mean? You know, and then you have to deal with that, you know, that sort of stigma. And it's like, um, I had to tell one of my friends like, oh, they were um, talking about how someone didn't have water in their house. Like, how do you how can you not have water and you're a pro athlete? I said, well, has that person ever had water in their house? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe mm -hmm. they came from a place where they could not afford water. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, but just putting ourselves, I think empathy, of course, is a uh, is a big, huge deal. But yeah, you saying that kind of just made me think of just like, okay, yeah, take this person. Okay, we draft them or you're you're in this company now. Now, all of a sudden, you're a public figure and you're supposed to know and say the right things. And now all of a sudden people care. And, you know, you get that hoop live like, well, how can that person say that you don't even know where you are? 
it, it can be scary. It could be a blur, but with the right tools, it can be, you, you can do it. It can be accomplished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm standing proof. I didn't even have all of them and I'm here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you've been giving so many great examples of tools that you have been using, but are there any tools that you use now that you wish you had earlier in your career? It's an everyday challenge. Um, I'm trying to get better and better every day, but just to be in the present, um, to be in the present moment, not to get too far ahead or too far behind. Just stay here if things need to get done around the house or if I have a meeting or if my daughter wants to watch something or if my kids need help with their homework. I have five children, so, um, you know, it can get very busy. The house is always exciting. So making an effort just to do those small things, even if I'm working on some notes or something like that and my kid comes in, hey, watch me play the video game. Come. All right, cool. I'll get up and and, you know, just be open to 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 doing those things because you know it's uh it builds good habits um things are going to continue to happen either way uh but not missing those small things that happen because sometimes i think you know we can just be so concerned with our own agenda and our own things and then we'll look up and five ten years pass you know for me with young kids i want to make sure i'm experiencing every day and being there every day. Um, and of course, finding out a way to do that and be a husband and a business owner and a father and entrepreneur and all that stuff. You know, just try to find those ways to uh, uh, stay present and know what I'm doing is very special every day and and hope that dear and dear to me. That's like, that's been my challenge. Even, even when it's tough, you know, mm-hmm. even if tough times are tough, let's, hey, let's dig in right now. Um, we're staying present. We need to work on our breath. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Let's, or sometimes I joke with my wife all the time. Man, we need to go to. I need to go to bed. Sometimes, like, man, you get a bad day. Like, ah, I'm gonna just get in the bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna get a hot shower. Thank goodness I can afford a hot shower. I'm hopefully get a good meal and 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 put it to the side and say, man, let's let me play with my kids or something because they're just free. Let's go to the playground. There, there's something to that in watching a child um, just be carefree and in the moment. And I try to I try to emulate that on the daily. Yeah. Children are really good about being mindful and being in the <laughs> present moment. So having a child to watch and copy exactly how they live sometimes is, is so helpful. For sure. And I hear, I hear like the things that you're doing to be mindful are things that you value. Like you value your family, you value, you know, warmth and connection. And if we follow like whatever we're doing mindfully because people are afraid of that word. They're afraid of being present and they're afraid of mindfulness because they automatically uh, go to meditative type of visions. And that's not what we're talking about with mindfulness Mm -hmm. and being present. It just means being doing what you're doing right now. And so when you do that with values in mind, your kids, your family, basketball, um, you know, things that you actually care about in life, it's much easier to be present with those things. For sure, for sure. And you focus on the thing, task at hand. And, you know, again, that was a tool I learned from basketball, but just if your mind is somewhere else, you can't do what's in front of you at 100%. That's just a fact. And even putting 100% into it's not 100%, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you're, you're, you're working against yourself. And I'm always for, um, you know, doing things that help, whether that's helping myself or helping others, but just the small things on the daily, can, you know, produce big results. 
all little steps. Yeah, absolutely. You've been open about experiencing anxiety when you started at Miami Heat. Why do you think those symptoms developed at that point? I was reading social media. It's easy, which it was a mistake. <laughs> you know, 26-year-old Chris wanted to, again, having to evolve. Um, I would say my mistake at that point in time was coming from Toronto to Miami and creating this team in the, in, in the context that we did. Um, my naive nature made me forget that it's sports <laughs> and forget like, oh yeah, you know, I probably, or we probably should have handled ourselves this way or just straight up like, yeah, nobody liked that, did they? We kind of celebrated, we kind of did, not, not that we gloated, it was just we were celebrating. You know, we had a whole thing and a, a, people joked that it was a parade before the championship. And, you know, the funny thing about it was we didn't organize it. We just showed up and had a good time. What were you going to do? You're going to have a good time. It never occurred to me at the time that it was being televised and pushed everywhere. It never occurred to me that it would be used as fuel for other teams or other fans or just the narrative as a whole to kind of paint us as bad guys to sell more papers, you know? And, and for me, that was kind of like growing up for me. And at the time, I was still reading the comments and stuff like that in my, I mean, I love the connection and stuff like that, but for the most part, you know, I, I just stayed away and this was why. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's like, man, and, and eventually it dawned on me. I said, wow, how crazy is this? Like, I'm, I'm reading words on a screen. Just words on a screen are making me feel like this. That does not make any sense to me. You know, I don't even know who this person is. It's probably a... 12 year old in their, you know, in their room who just learned how to curse and they're just getting a rile out of me right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? We haven't even started the season. And so once that happened, I kind of just said, okay, this isn't it. I was feeling so bad to where I hit, you know, I don't want to say a low, but just like, you know, just one of those days like, yo, what am I doing? What am I doing? I know exactly where I was. I'm looking and it's like, yo, this isn't my spare time. Let me put my phone down or let me get in the gym or let me hang out with my friends instead of just keep being fixated on what others think about me. It's just created to get a rile out of you. And, you know, how cool is that if somebody could say, oh, you saw how mad I made him. It's just the same as jeering when you're on the road. So I, I took it as such. Um, I learned not to buy into that. Let me pour back into myself. Let me get back to that point of what makes me happy. That didn't change the narrative and that didn't change people from booing and that didn't change, you know, it was hearing the hateful comments in person and stuff like that. But, you know, it did help me in that context to say, okay, I'm not dealing with that right now. I'm in my safe space. I'm at home. I've always believed is, is my place of refuge. Anything could be going out there, but when I'm home, it all doesn't matter. I'm doing the things that I like to do and I'm myself, you know, um, and I take solace in that refuge um, and I am aware of it. But yeah, after that, that was kind of like the narrative when I first got with the heat. I needed to get back into basketball as opposed to caring about what other people thought. And along the same lines of other people talking negatively about you or being consumed by it. How did it feel when you were ridiculed for crying after losing the NBA finals? Oh, I knew what time it was as soon as I saw it. 
So the funny story, <laughs> the funny story with that was, right, like I'm walking off the court and it just, oh, it's like, I can't believe it. We lost and I had um, good friends on the other team and being a good sportsman, the game is over, shake hands, congratulate that person and move on, you know, but have that moment where you're congratulating them. I always believed in that after after the game is over. And as I'm walking out, somebody uh, said, better luck next year, something like that. And I, I just, it, it reminded me of being a kid. And I just got taken right back to being a kid because I had a problem with crying after every game. And, and you know, of course, it may have been even, I can't even remember what was going on, but it was just so hard. And I remember like, man, we weren't supposed to lose. It's not fair. That man, that was hard and we lost. We got all the way here. It was just it was devastating. And, you know, I just got emotional. I mean, like a physical reaction, like painful. And I'm kind of covering my eyes and like I looked up and I didn't know a camera was there. I would have held it together if I known. <laughs> if I would have known the camera was there, I would have held it together a little longer and just got past the camera. But then as soon as I noticed it, I knew it was going to happen. It was it was it was it was habitual routine. Um, with the media by then. So, you know, I just prepared myself. Of course, those those um, opinions and things that you don't think about that come that really sting you. That was tough to get over. But eventually I said, hey, you know, I care. That's how much I care. And I own that. I think a lot of the time we you just got to own who you are, not being negative or anything like that. It's like, yo, I'm not being negative. I showed how much I love the game. And you know what? That's cool, because now I know how much it hurts. Watch next time when I get here. Watch what's gonna happen. I bet I won't be crying next time. You know, so uh, you know, at the time it was uh, it was tough to deal with, but I learned to just move on. You know, it could be the topic of today or the topic of tomorrow or next week, but you can't say that you know I'm irresponsible. You can't say that I'm a bad person. You can't say I'm a bad ball player. You can say I lost a championship, and and you know I'm gonna use this as fuel to aid me, you know, because it's either going to help you or hurt you. And for me, I say, yo, this is going to help me. Keep telling me again how I was crying. Tell, But then again, now in the future, tell me how I was crying when we won. See, nobody talked about that part. Right. I cried when I won, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... Yeah. You know, take take your pick. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we we believe crying is very healthy, both for happy tears and sad tears. Um, and I think there's so much strength in tears and in crying. Being vulnerable like that and allowing yourself to feel is one of the most powerful things that we can do for ourselves. And because it was televised, you probably helped so many people that you don't even realize just because you showed that side of you. It came up. I remember just being a topic of conversation and even um, and let me um, I forgot it was a gentleman who um, he was kind of, you know, I don't want to say coming to my defense or anything, but he was saying, hey, yeah, yeah, it hurts. Yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it hurts. You are watching pain, debilitating pain. And I really I really appreciated um, those who came out of the woodwork and kind of um, defended that um, action because, yeah, you know, when you put everything into something, when you truly believe with every fiber in your being that it's going to happen and it doesn't happen, it hurts, you know. Uh, but to have, uh, I want to acknowledge those who it helped and those who said, no, nah, no, nah, that's don't don't make fun of that. And, and you know, even even for me, I mean, 
you know, I watch sports all the time, every day, all day. And just to see the men and women out there, when you see those tears, it's like, man, I get emotional watching it because it's it's not is you know you, you came up short you're watching somebody's that's what makes it great and tough at the same time you're watching the demise live you know you're watching someone process their worst nightmare or their greatest dream people just have to be aware of that be sensitive to that just a tad it's still sports you can still boo you can still do all these things but you know, leave it in between the lines and then, you know, we can go off in, into what we do in our normal lives afterwards. But for the most part, um, you're, we're watching someone put it all on the line and, and, you know, people need to respect that and just be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about identity shifts earlier from like your teenage self and, and shifting identity into becoming this basketball player that everybody knew and, you know, dealing with the mental health that came along with that. But then you had another identity shift later, and it was when you got the news that you, the doctors discovered that there was a blood clot in your lung. How did you take that news? I mean, yeah, it was tough. Uh, it's the biggest challenge um, that I have faced, you know, thankfully, up until this point. Everything that I had ever done, who I identify with, we can talk about changing identities as a teenager to a young adult, but at the end of the day, I was a basketball player. In this transition from adolescent to a man, I always had basketball. And, you know, in the fashion that it happened, um, you know, uh, the first time was very tragic. It was very painful. Um, I was in the hospital. It wasn't, it wasn't good. I came within an inch of losing my life. It, it all stopped the next year. I came back from that. How about that? Came back from that. Returned to all-star form. I didn't do anything wrong. And, you know, a year later, almost to the date, they're telling me I can't play anymore, even though I feel healthy, even though we have a pretty good team and I have more championship aspirations. I have more success on my mind, just like pulling the plug out midway through the show. And yeah, it was very tough to deal with. Um, I don't want to understate that. Uh, it was the biggest challenge I've ever had in my life trying to come back from that, because as I told you, I identified as a ball player. I was my identity. That was all I've ever known. Um, and what made it tough, essentially, was people saying, oh, you'll be OK. What do you mean? <laughs> well, no, I'm not OK. <laughs> um, uh, I got drafted early, so people would think I'm younger or older than I really was. Like, yo, I'm 31 at the time. I saw myself playing. I'm 37 now. I at least saw myself playing to this age. And I had to come to grips with that. I had to... Um, you know, come to grips with uh, my career being over, uh, everything that I worked for, kind of just, um, you know, wrap a bow on it because it's done. It's a finished piece now. And now move on with your life. And that was very, very tough to deal with. Again, I don't want to understate how tough that was, but, you know, time heals all wounds. Um, I, I found myself pouring myself into my family. You know, the funny thing is like, oh, what are you doing now, Chris? Yeah, what am I doing? I took my son to kindergarten today. Uh, carpool wasn't that bad. Uh, I had to walk him into his class because he wants me to read to him before class. So <laughs> do that, then come back home. And, you know, those were my things. I have five children. We have to prepare dinner. We've got to do some activities. We've got to go outside. They've got to stay active. I started pouring myself into my family. And now those were the things I felt that really helped me. Was there a grieving period for that life that 
you had that was now gone? I wanted to. I really, really, really wanted to. And sometimes the parts of me still still does want to grieve, but what a ride, huh? You know, that's what I kept coming back to. Hell of a ride. Man, I'm glad I got what I got done in the amount of time that I had it. And that is one of the things that helps me to this day. Like, man, let me stay present because that day is coming for all of us, right? But what do we do in between now and then? So that's kind of the narrative that I had to build and tell myself because it was reality. You know, I've got these little kids who, yeah, I want to play. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Ah, oh, you lost your career, man. It's tough, but they want to play. They shouldn't have to deal with those things. They shouldn't even be on their mind. And for me, that's the most important legacy I can leave is to pour my time and myself into those kids to help them, you know, be who they're going to be uh, uh, later. But yeah, not so much a grieving time. It's more, more of a time of celebration. I had. I talked to a good friend of mine and he said, you know, hey, look, it never ends the way we want it to end. You know, it's a tough, tough pill to swallow. I'm not saying that I was agreeing with him at that time, but later on it hit me, hit me in my head a little later. Like, okay, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in that basketball did not, you know, it doesn't, it's a part of who I am, but it's not all who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm so much more than that. Um, I have other interests. Um, And I'm telling you, while it was my thing, my one and only, I maximized it. I I squeezed every drop (laughs) out of that piece of fruit. And I'm I'm very, very thankful for the time I had. And I start looking at it like that as opposed to saying, oh, well, woe is me. Like, hey, 13 years of accomplishing my dream at a high level. Like I watched the dream team be successful when I was an eight year old. My son is nine. I remember and I got to win a gold medal. I watched Michael Jordan win a championship. I got to win a couple of them. You know, looking looking at the hindsight and being proud of it as opposed to it bringing me down. Right. And I think it goes back to what we were saying right at the very beginning. Like you're changing that self-talk towards yourself and you're focusing on loving yourself and your strengths and what you can do now moving forward. And you also mentioned something that like you said that when you first found out, some people told you it's going to be okay, And that that was just not helpful for you. And it was kind of like, if you think about it, then the next person told you will never end the way we want it. How was that statement that you said? doesn't end how you it want it. It never ends the way we want it to end. I said, man, it didn't end yeah. the way. He said, it never ends the yeah. way you want it to end. I was like, yeah, there you go. But you know we what? That, that to me, like as you were saying <laughs> that, it's like, ouch, but it's almost more comforting than the initial, it's all going to be okay. That toxic kind of positivity thing, like where it's just, it's going to be fine. Like it's kind of minimizing. Whereas the other person's like, that shit sucks. And it never ends the way we want it to end. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, and and, and that was kind of in the context we were having. And and yeah, it just got to a point, you know, you talk about mental health. I had to arm myself with tools to be able to, if I go out in public and people saying, even if they're a good friend, oh yeah, but you'll be fine. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, you're not telling me how you're just telling me that I'll be fine. Uh, Well, how? Because I'm not fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Today, I'm not fine. You know, I just uh, yeah, just I'm not playing basketball anymore. And I had to learn eventually how, how to be a human being. I had to relearn. And that's one of the things I implore ex athletes, whether you played in high school or college or the pros, the feeling's always the same when you're not playing anymore. I can't believe it. This is who I was. And I implore good friends who are retired, men and women who retire from ball, just to tell them like, hey, 
you have to be aware of of the world is not what you think it is. You're going to have to learn what it is for yourself, your place in it and what you're going to do. And you have to get to know yourself. I had to get to know myself all over again. I'm like, man, I like this. I don't like that. You have to change your habits. You know, you're not essentially your profession, but it has such a stronghold on what we do because it takes up so many hours. I didn't realize how many hours, you know, I dedicated to the game. And I implore ex-athletes all the time, like, hey, you need to know what your likes and dislikes are. Get a hobby, you know, you find those things out. If you like cars, just go deep into cars. You, we know those things that we like. I know it might seem silly, but just take a deep dive. And in that, you know, something I believe good um, will come out of it every time if you stay dedicated. But, you know, I was in a position where I had to learn who I was, and, you know, without the game, because that's the that was the biggest challenge. You know, I always had to game to get out my frustrations or stay in shape or or just have fun. I mean, come on, playing in front of 20,000 people a night and you're pretty good at what you do. It's the best, you know, so I had to learn how to move on from that and, and function um, as a human being without those things. Yeah. sounds like a big challenge from your perspective though. How would you help young athletes recognize their mental health in high school or in college? I would say, start the dialogue, do your research. Um, I always implore people to educate themselves with credible sources and to have discussions. And, you know, sometimes don't run from those tough discussions that you have to have. Don't let things build up and fester inside of you. Um, to where it, it comes out and it's uncontrolled. If you don't like something, you know, speak up for yourself. You know, that was one of the challenges that I had when I was younger. And it doesn't mean you're spoiled. It doesn't mean you're bougie or whatever other word people can make up. If you don't like something, voice it. it, it you know, there still has to be a, a level of compromise, right, within a team, if you're on a team. Uh, but all in all, I think I, I would implore young athletes to just be very aware of educating themselves, you know, and, and just arm yourself with the tools needed and, and challenge yourself because, I mean, you know, someone else can do it for you, but we all can't talk to doctors all the time. So find those things that work for you. One of the things that worked for me was listening to classical music, um, binaural beats. I love those things. Any sort of aid that aids you in a positive way just find those things, educate ourselves, find those things that really helped you and and really just, you know, raise the awareness, be aware of those thoughts you're having inside of yourself. Be aware that it's OK. It's just what you say more uh, with the uh, some of the wellness stuff says, yeah, this is a river down a leaf. These thoughts yeah. are the trees. We're just we're still going down the river. Right. It's just mm -hmm. thoughts, you know, it's fine. Um, but definitely find those things. One of the other things that helped me was writing morning pages. Um, when I first lost the game and, and I noticed like, wow, I'm tired of talking just negative stuff, man. This is, I got it out. Ugh, I don't want to do this anymore. Who is this person? Let me start putting something towards some positive stuff. And then, you know, as then I wrote a book, you know, so it can definitely help finding different ways to be able to express yourself and not judge yourself. And then really just move on from there. But having that dialogue, having the discussions and knowing that phrase, um, I think it will tremendously help the athletes for tomorrow. 
you wrote a book. Is this book uh, representative of mental health or what you went through? What's the book about? So it's called Letters to a Young Athlete. Um, and it's pretty much principles um, and lessons that I learned in my life that really just helped me. I'm like reverse engineering my success and those moments and stories and principles that I feel are necessary. And the main premise of the book is to help. And someone who reads the book, take those words for yourself, you know, take those and apply them. They work. Um, you know, for an example, um, I talk about communication. One of my chapters is communication is key. Um, dealing with haters and criticism, how to handle winning, how to handle losing. Those different themes that I feel pop up over and over and over. And, and that was one of the things that helped me just kind of reflecting on my career, reflecting on my life, having those coaches, that teacher, that person to push me, challenge me or help me. And um, I'm pretty much just reflecting on those times. So um, whether you're an athlete, I know it's called letters to a young athlete, but the, uh, the athlete is more of a metaphor. This is for everybody. The title sounded great. And <laughs> yeah. and I'm just kind of giving you, again, those things that help me. But whether you're a cook, CEO, podcaster, uh, doctor, lawyer, I, I believe um, these principles can really help out. Amazing. In this episode, Chris mentioned how hard it was for him to cope with his injury forever ending his basketball career. Basketball was his life, but he had to realize there was more to him than that. He's a terrific father, husband, and advocate on mental health. He turned his injury into motivation. He mentioned a lot throughout the episode about building your toolbox to help overcome anxiety, depression, and any feeling of self-doubt and uneasiness. Plus, he mentioned the importance of not holding in how you feel, but rather speaking to a professional about it. If you find yourself needing to talk to somebody, BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. It's way more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. And it makes getting therapy easier. Just schedule your message, phone, or video session and complete it from your phone, in your car, in your home, or wherever you are. We were in awe of Chris's passion for people taking care of themselves, and we want to send him another big thank you for coming on our show to talk about battling anxiety. There's a special offer for getting better listeners. Get 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash getting better. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R, help.com slash getting better. Have you or has the league developed any mental health strategies for helping active players struggling with mental health issues? I, I haven't yet. I mean, you know, I just try to be a voice, um, you know, for guys struggling, um, you know, just talk to them. I still have friends in the league now and we talk from time to time. Um, we're getting older and guys are retiring and transitioning and things are different. And I'm pretty much the guy like, yo, it's crazy. I know. <laughs> but just to give them like different thoughts and new perspective on how things really are. Um, and on top of that, just to listen sometimes, you know, because some, sometimes life is rough. But, um, you know, the league is doing things every day um, to better help their players, um, to give them the tools um, that, that they need. Um, it's, a, it's an evolving conversation. And that's one of the best things about the NBA and the NBPA. Um, we're always having an open dialogue to these sort of things. 
um, and to see uh, commercials like my man uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love, who are great friends of mine, be open about those things. Now the mental health has a spokesperson or spokespeople um, that can raise the awareness of, you know, tools needed and just stories of what people are going through. So uh, I think it's a great thing that is being mentioned and we're, we're in the precipice of it, right? It's, uh, it hasn't even been two, three years where it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to be an evolving dialogue and, and research will be done. And I'm sure that uh, there will be more, more and more to help out um, those in need. So any final tips or words you would like our listeners to hear that you think might be helpful? I guess my overall general concept would just, you know, tell people that they could do it. Um, anything that you set your mind to, just put in the work daily, daily, daily. And you might not end up there, but when you look back, you'll be proud uh, of where you are. And, and, and sometimes you just got to hang on. You might feel that you're about to blow. Just hang on. Blow tomorrow. You know, <laughs> do That's what I always say. Yeah, do it tomorrow. <laughs> you know, and but always just, you know, take that time to sit and think. Um, yeah, let's use our minds. You know, let's use our minds. Sit, think, think about where we want to go. Um, think about what we're doing to be present. Think about what we're doing to help others and stay positive and think about what we're putting into this mind, this great mind of ours. If you feel good on the outside, it will be projected um, outward. So um, I want people to know that. Um, I want people to know that they could do it. And I want people to know that they have um, the tools to get over challenges. And if they don't, you can go find it. Such great advice. Yeah. Such inspirational advice. And what an inspirational story. And uh, thank you so much for joining us and being so open and vulnerable and sharing your story with us today. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you guys. This was uh, so awesome. We just finished filming our episode with Chris Bosch. Micheline, you know that before that happened, I was so excited, especially when I saw his name and that's who we were interviewing. I am from Toronto and he is a household name here. We all love him so much. What was your favorite part of the interview? Oh my God, I feel like all of it was so good because he was just very genuine and he just talked so openly about everything. But I really love like his awareness of like all the identity shifts that he had to go through in his life and how it impacted his mental health because I think that that's something we all experience in one way or another. And then like how he deals with it and how he works through it. I just thought he was really insightful um, about, he, he mentioned like thoughts on a stream, which we talk about all the time. He didn't mention values, but like he was very values oriented and that's what kept him going throughout his main struggles. What about you? Like you mentioned, I love that it was just such an easy conversation. I felt like he was my friend and we were just able to talk about this on such a deep level. But I like what he mentioned at the beginning when he talked about being a young child and mental health not really being talked about enough or at all, but he was able to find an outlet and something that he really enjoyed. And I think for any moms who are interested in like, well, how can I better my child's mental health? Finding something your child's passionate about and allowing them to use that as an outlet, of course, without the extra pressure on it is really important and really helpful. It, it helped me too growing up. Like I had soccer. That was what my one outlet. I, I related to him so much because I can have such a bad day, but I know at the end of the day, I was playing soccer and I was able to be present there. So I really loved him addressing that. Yeah, I think that is very important and very helpful because you're releasing so much. And we've talked about like resilience factors before and that sports part of him was so 
so helpful for him, which is why it was also probably extra painful for him to lose that um, before he was set to retire. You know, his his friends or his colleagues that were uh, playing with him are still playing. So, you know, it, it's definitely challenging, but the way he navigates all of it is just really, really powerful. And um, I just love his passion for life. Me too. I'm so excited for our listeners to hear this one. I think it is incredible. And there's so many tips that he provides that will just help anyone regardless of where you are in your life. Thank you so much for listening today. This discussion is so important to ending the mental health stigma. If you want to help the mental health movement, you can do so by leaving a written review for this podcast to help it reach more people. If you want to dive deeper into these topics and learn more about mental health, make sure you subscribe and follow Micheline and Nadia's mental health podcast, Mind-Fully Healing, anywhere you stream your podcasts.